0: your mind, off your money, and focus on your life. Money don't matter all the stuff it buys. It's the way. Get your money, mine, right, right here at Unlock Your Wealth Radio. And this segment is sponsored by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at unlockyourwealthradio.com forward slash free book and click on the link to over 150,000 titles to choose from for your Android, iPhone, Kindle, or MP3 player. Thanks so much for stopping by. I am your purveyor of prosperity, Heather Wagonhalls, and I am flanked by the maestro of moolah, Michael Terry. Hey, folks. And we are going to help you Today, get that money mind right on our show, which features the following. First off, we have an amazing key in our keys to riches financial philosophy. Miguel. The key this uh, week is. Um Forget the perfection principle. Are you already forgetting the key? I am. Number 11. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we are in our 11th key this week. We also have a great moolah word of the day that kind of sort of relates to our topic for today. And today we are going to discuss investing principles, do's and don'ts. Since I was asked to comment uh, this week or well, this month on the real estate numbers, and the amount of home ownership and real estate investment that's been going on. I thought, you know, this is a good opportunity this season to really talk about some of the things that we don't normally talk about because we have a a slew of guests and we just run out of time or those guests have an area of specialty with investment that we just don't talk about. For those of you who haven't joined us for a while, the Keys to Riches has become its own show. So if you are interested in learning about this week's key, which is forget the perfection principle, you need to visit our website at keys richescom in order to find out the goods on this week's key. Essentially, forgetting the perfection principle has to do with our biology-based approach to money management. And this is one of those keys that really helps set the others in motion. So we have some specific task keys, and then we have some ongoing keys that we need to practice routinely. And this is one of those keys that we have to invoke the powers of, if you will, routinely, because as we approach next week, we're almost done. We only have two more keys, and our next practical application key is going to be next week with practicing the three R's and that's review, revise, and recommit. And what we need to focus with is that in this week's key, it's about focusing on the progress of the process. Uh, Perfection is an unrealistic expectation and if we put that upon ourselves, we will always be disappointed. Likely, likely, because even if we do attain whatever we said we were going to attain, if we didn't do it specifically the way we had laid out, then we tend to beat ourselves up about it. And so this is one of the things that creates limiting beliefs about success and specifically about our own success. So this is a critical key for us to learn the four-step process for forgiveness. So visit our website at com, or if you're listening on the Unlock Your Wealth Radio channel, we also broadcast this every Monday and- And all you have to do is visit the archives to get the goods on this week's key. Forget the perfection principle. So we have an interesting moolah word of the day. And I'll have to warn you up front, I don't have my glasses. Today's moolah word of the day is promissory note. And a promissory note is a financial instrument that contains a written promise by one party, which is the note's issuer or maker, to pay another party, the note's payee or the one that grants the cash, a definite sum of money either on demand or at a specified future date. A promissory note typically contains all the terms pertaining to the indebtedness, like principal amount, interest rate, maturity date, and place of data and place of issuance, as well as the issuer's signature. So one of the things that was a big challenge in teaching estates and taking title is the difference between the ORs and the EEs. So a payor and a payee. Okay. So the payor is going to be the giver of the note. And you need to think in terms of the giver, not as a person with the money putting it forward, is you have to think of it as the person giving the promise to repay. So the payee or recipient of said cashola Mm -hmm. is the actual person that gives the money. Or lends the money, I should say, because it's not a gift, it's a it's a lend. So they're the person that lends the money and receives the payments. And so that's why they are the recipient in this case. And the ORs and the EEs were always tough because people got them easily confused because they would make assumptions about who was giving what. And we can't think in terms of who is giving the money, but who is giving the promise to repay. So that's the OR. ORs are always the giver, EEs are always the recipients. So you need to think of it essentially as this note is worth X amount of money. So let's say you want to borrow $10,000. So the note is a piece of paper worth $10,000 that's exchanged for actual cashola $10,000 or it's cash equivalent. And that's how you have to think in terms of promissory notes and givers and recipients. So the payee gives a load of money and they receive payments on that load of money with interest that's negotiated between the two parties. So what's great is if all of the, uh, the, the six important things that are included in a contract uh, are in this, the, ne- the note, once it's been seasoned, can become negotiable. So let's say, for example, Michael, that, uh, you give me a note for $10,000. You're like, Hey, I want to capitalize on this opportunity, this investment, whatever. And I'm not using collateral. You're, it's just your good name, you yeah. know? So I'm not taking anything in collateral, like a car or a house. Yeah, okay. You just want to borrow X amount of ten, dollars. Ten and you grand. said, yeah. you'll pay me back. You know, you'll pay me, you want to borrow 10 grand, you'll pay me back. And, uh, you're going to pay me a certain rate of interest and you're going to make monthly payments, quarterly payments. Yeah. Semi-annual or annual, whatever Mm -hmm. we agree upon. So you give me this note. So I give you the 10 grand and I'm collecting payments. I'm collecting a bit of principal and interest each time because that's what we negotiated. Now, I could negotiate an interest only where, you know, for the period of time you make interest payments and then you pay me a lump sum. So the structure of the note is negotiable. But let's say, for example, that you borrow 10 grand, I have a piece of paper, you have 10 grand, you're repaying me back at whatever rate we discussed, and let's say I get pinched for cash, all right? So you've made your payments on time, so I've got what they call seasoning, because I've collected a couple of payments, but let's say I'm pinched for cash and I don't want to wait for that 10 grand to trickle in. This promissory note, if it contains specific things that make it negotiable, then I can go actually sell this note in the secondary market. Oh. Yeah. Okay. You know, so if, if, if we decide it's a negotiable instrument, I can right. sell it off to a third party and then you make your payments to that person. I mean, that happens with mortgages all the time. Right. That's a great example. Yeah. Okay. So promissory notes can contain collateral if you want, but ideally it's just the financial, it's a financial instrument that's negotiated between two people to borrow a sum of money and someone gives a promissory note saying that I will promise to make restitution for this money that I'm borrowing. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's a fabulous thing. Now, when we talk today uh, a little bit later about, specifics in real estate investing, um, I'm going to address a couple of points and these couple of points are going to say, well, okay. Um, yeah, so I, I, Uh, but I I don't have what you're saying I need to have in place, but I still want to go forward. I'm going to give you this alternative scenario and a promissory note can be one of those alternative scenarios to help you become a real estate investor. But this week's moolah word is important because we have to understand what a promissory note is. You need to seek the advice of an attorney or, or someone who can guide you better on how to structure promissory notes and make sure that they're legally binding. And if you want to negotiate collateral, how to obtain separate documentation for that depending on what the structure is what you're borrowing it for and what your lender is requiring of you as collateral if any you need to have that all put into the the note you need to make sure that you're negotiating that effectively so you need to contact an attorney in your locale to make sure that the, the promissory note is valid in your area is the uh, chronologically when when does the note come into play it closing Well, no. I mean, it Mm. depends on what type of transaction. If it's just me and you, as soon as you sign it, um, it becomes um, executable, meaning both parties have authorized it, but it's not fully complete. And then when you hand me that document and I hand you the cash, that means it's fully executed, Mm -hmm. Uh, So in in the case when you're dealing with mortgages and larger sums of money uh, or or deeds of trust, as it is in the state of Arizona, we use deeds of trust here, uh, they usually require the document to be signed prior to closing and then fun proof of funds and all of that okay. stuff get wired in and then you know we have what we call um these blue sky laws that that are had a uh, or I'm sorry not blue sky laws but good funds law that as a result of what happened here in the real estate industry you know about a decade and a half ago when there was scarcity of inventory and we had the big run-up and then there was so so much demand for money and everybody trying to meet those demands, but also manage the federal laws of the federal funds rate of the minimum requirements you had, you know, checks were being issued and deposited and the funds weren't there. So mm-hmm. now they have to, they do it all by wire. It costs more money. Yeah. And so, you can make the the contract executable, which means both parties have agreed to and authorized the document, but it's not executed until both parties have performed their functions. So, on the issuer's side, uh, they uh, or the payor's side, they have to hand over the document, and on the payee side, they have to issue the cash. And then it becomes executed. So, yes, it uh, seems like micromanaging, but semantics mean things, okay? Yeah. You know, sure so you so we, it's absolutely. not just, oh, that's just semantics. No, it's... It's semantics for a reason because they're different. Having an executable contract and a fully executed contract are two different things. You know, so for example, when you agree to buy a piece of real estate, but it takes thirty days to close, the agreement is made. The execution of the document happens then, but it makes the document or the transaction executable. But until the money is deposited and then transferred, and until the deed is is authorized and deposited for transfer, and and settlement occurs. The agreement is not uh, executed. It's not until everything finishes that it's executed. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so if you look, if you look at the language, you know, on certain documents, especially when you deal with the government and you have to have notaries and stuff, it says sworn and executed before me. What was executed was the authorization of the agreement that makes the agreement executable until the the other part, both parties perform to what they committed to. It's only executable. Yeah. Anyway, that's, uh, that's our language lesson (laughs) for the moolah word of the day. And let's get started now because there's so much ground that can be covered. I think it's critical that we get into this week's topic. This segment of Unlock Your Wealth Radio is sponsored in part by KeepMyId.org, the only service that actually prevents identity theft. All others are just monitoring services. Put your credit on lockdown for Unlock Your Wealth Radio listeners by visiting our website at unlockyourwealthradio.com forward slash KeepMyId. Click on the link to start protecting your financial future right now. Remember to use promo code So let's talk about this week's topic, shall we? So we've been talking about real estate, home ownership and investment, mortgage qualifying, uh, credit quality, all of that good stuff. Now, if you are already a homeowner or do not see the advantage of home ownership, but do see the advantage of real estate investing and are ready to get started, I thought, let's do a do's and don'ts show about this, because I think that that's going to be essential for your success, especially because the way things are going in the market. And I want to keep you from getting burned like the folks did on the last one. If you're concerned about track record, if you just look at my shows from 2003, when I was on KFNX News Talk Radio 1100, you will see me predicting what was going on in the marketplace and saying by 2007, we were going to have a more massive, more devastating effect in the marketplace by the mortgage crisis than we would ever have by the real estate crisis. And- Bingo. Was I right? Probably the only time my crystal balls worked, Come on. but it worked really good because there were indicators in the marketplace that just couldn't be denied. There were <laughs> factors in the marketplace that I was seeing and making connections with that either other people weren't seeing or they were seeing and they were just going forward anyway because they, 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 they were swept up in the emotion of all of it. Yeah. So a totally biological response. We getting any cl- Are we getting close to that again? Well, we could. You don't want to I go was asked there. to comment on the real estate market. The real estate market and, and what was going on in the real estate market is what precipitated the mortgage market to create more products based on consumer mm-hmm. demand. Everybody wants to wag their finger and say, Shame on you, Big Bank. Shame on you for giving me all this money I clearly wasn't qualified for. Well, how about shame on you for applying for money that you you knew you shouldn't have been borrowing and finagling with a no income, no asset verification loan? Because if you would have went traditional qualifying, you would have found out real quick you couldn't afford that house. So you went into denial and still moved forward on the impulse, the desire to have that particular property. As in in everything else, I'm sure both parties had... Something to do with it. Yes, but mortgage underwriting hadn't materially changed for many, many years until the demand in the marketplace necessitated it. Mm-hmm. Underwriting criteria was underwriting criteria. The advent of credit scoring is what said, okay, well, you know, they've paid their bills. They went by the number, not yeah. the credit quality. All yeah. of this automated underwriting came up. Mm-hmm. You know, and and a real person wasn't looking at it, knowing like the real people know. Based on underwriting guidelines, well, that's, yeah, that's, this crap won't fly. That's great. I mean, that's the problem right there. So it's- well, you know, we stopped looking at credit quality and we went to credit score only yeah. on some of the underwriting. Then we also said, all right, well, like, and, and here's the problem. So a lot of these mortgages existed in the marketplace, but were considered a niche product. And I'll give you an example. Some of these no income, no asset verification loans were never meant For salaried employees, Mm -hmm. paycheck to paycheck, hourly or salary employees were never meant to have a no income, no asset verification loan. These loans were meant for entrepreneurs, business owners, commissioned employees. And the reason why is because, you know, as a commissioned employee, let's say real estate, for example. If you're a real estate agent and you have closings, all right? You're you can have four closings in one month, you can have zero closings the next. Right. You know, maybe you thought a property was supposed to close, but then it didn't for whatever reason, inspections, yada yada, who knows what happened. Stuff sure. gets pushed back. Mm-hmm. So your income varies when you deal with commissioned employees. The same thing with business owners. One month you can sell a lot of widgets. The next month, not so many. And so they take average income. But here's the problem now as a business owner, one of the advantages of being a business owner is expenses. You get to write down a lot of expenses that offset the actual tax you pay on income. Well, what do we know about mortgage underwriting? They go by reported income. So if you made a million dollars, okay, In gross income. But with all of the write-downs and costs and stuff, you only pay taxes on $300,000 of it. Your reported income is Mm $300,000. So the lender only counts what you reported to Uncle Sam the 300,000. They don't look at the million bucks. Why shouldn't? They don't look at the fact that you run your business out of your house so you took all these other deductions, so that's why your mortgage payment goes into that business expense sure. pile. They're not looking closely at what can be added back in in a traditional conventional mortgage underwriting scenario. Now, you could probably afford this big house at a million dollar a year salary. But a million dollar a year as an entrepreneur or, or commissioned employee, not so much. So you have to go with what they call alternative underwriting scenarios, which makes you go outside the box. All right. And so when you go outside the box, you have higher rates, higher points, like a lot of things change. So what happened was in an effort, and I'm speaking specifically to loan officers, in an effort to help the demand in the marketplace for properties, because interest rates went so low for so long that they wanted to start qualifying people. So underwriters started getting a little lax, but they saw that these notes were being serviced, meaning payments were being made on them. And so they started developing products specifically for this because they thought, okay, so people can stretch. But what happened was the structure of the notes themselves was what would the part of the downfall was. So, with the, what I mean by that is because an alternative loan is higher than the current mortgage rate. So, f- to do the math easy, so let's say a, a smoking deal on the best qualifying conventional loan is ten percent. If you go non conforming. You're going to pay 12%, 13% or 14% on a 30-year fixed rate loan. But if we decide to gamble, which everybody did, they got burnt in this marketplace, decided to gamble and said, you know what? An adjustable rate mortgage is a lot lower. And so my start rate, if so in the real world, when, when interest rates were 4%, you can get a two and a half to two and three quarters percent start rate, even though... You have crappy credit or crazy income or whatever it is Mm -hmm. that that puts you in non-conforming. You could actually buy more property going this way and not having to report income and all of that stuff to qualify for the loan. But what people didn't pay attention to, and this is something that that I saw so much, and this is why I I was like the queen of excessive documentation. And, And that's why I pulled that over into my real estate career as well, because people forget when they're dealing in, in these biology-based approaches, you know what I mean? They're either in survival mode, moving towards something that's going to give them pleasure, or they're in emotional mode, um, trying to, uh, allay some sort of unpleasant emotion, like not being good enough or not being, you know, in the race to keep up with the Joneses. Uh, they would, you know, not have escrows attached to their account. They would do everything they could to mitigate and reduce this monthly payment to something that would be max qualifying amount on a conforming loan on this adjustable rate loan. And- and they would pick either libor which adjusts every 6 months or they would pick you know some other arm where it would be stable for say 3 years, 5 years or 7 years and then it would flex upward. So there's these things called rates and mar- like margins and caps that go into an adjustable rate loan. So it's based on whatever this particular index is. So the libor is the London interbank overnight rate and so if your loan is based on that the margin, let's say, is three points, okay? And so you apply the the mortgage on whatever the current LIBOR is, plus three points. So if current LIBOR is at 10%, now uh, when they go to do their first adjustment, you're going to add three points to that. So if your LIBOR started out at five and is now at 10, and now you just added three more points to it, so you're adding 8% on the top of the payment. That you were paying, that is going to double or treble your payment, Yeah, which means it's all of a sudden you were maxing it out every month, racing to try to make that payment because you, you maxed out your affordability. So you're barely getting it by. Now, all of a sudden your payment quadruples and you can't make it. That's how I was able to predict with accuracy when the market was going to crash because I was taking into account the very first day that all of these stupid loans started coming about out for for salaried employees and hourly employees and They're, they're the, tripling, yeah. You know, and so it only took one adjustment. You could go to the lifetime cap on some of these loans. They were written so you could have a 6 to 8 to 10 point swing in one month wow. and the whole point of these alternative loans was so you could get your credit on target your payment history on target and save money so you could refinance into a quality loan at that time but did they no they partied for three years five years whatever and they uh, also had their phones ringing in the middle of the show <laughs> which is amazing <laughs> and and so that's kind of what precipitated the crisis all right and so that brings us to our first point okay okay You must approach real estate investing without getting emotional, all right? So, you have to be as impartial as possible. So, you must rely on the numbers. If the numbers don't work, you can't make excuses for it, period. Bottom line, end of statement, all right? So, that's our first um, point. Our next point that ties in with this whole emotion thing is... To remember that you are not living there. Someone else is living there. You're providing housing for someone else. So the standards with which you would require to live there are not the standards you need to meet. You only need to meet FHA standards of safe, sound, and sanitary. And that's a completely subjective Bias, okay? Yeah. And so be aware of that. So you only have to meet the underwriting criteria. If you're doing a fix and flip and someone else is buying it, you want to make sure that your property can be can go FHA so you want to make sure that you're uh, rehabbing it to FHA standards if it's a rehab okay. or a remodel. And you need to also make sure that the numbers work, because these are things that we have to take into consideration. We'll talk about that in a second. But if the numbers don't work, they're not going to work. Because if you think that if the numbers are tight when you calculate it or right at the border and you haven't calculated margins or calculated real estate um, uh, commissions, or transaction fees to transfer that property, like title searches, title insurance, all of that good stuff, then you are going to run into some bigger problems. Um, Because what happens is, and, and this is like, I always think of Murphy's Law, and I always think of Murphy being right there in the corner. If I'm trying to cut it close, that guy's not going to play the cards in yeah, my favor. Exactly. He's going to deal me a rotten hand on purpose. And so if I go into it knowing that I need a 10% Murphy margin, and if I can't add in all these other fees on top of the purchase price and, and, and my guesstimated rehab or remodel costs, and, and and if I can't make the numbers work for slightly under the current market price, because i need to be able to liquidate it in order to preserve myself the longer i hang on to it the more money it costs me so i've got if i'm doing a fix and flip i got to get rid of it as fast as i can i need to try to sell it almost before it's complete that's wow. when I need to start marketing it. And our, we at, on this show, we had both Than Merrill and Armando Montalongo from A&E's Flip This House years ago. Yeah. And that's what they said. You need to be able to sell under the market. So you got to know your numbers. That's a critical piece of the puzzle. And if you get emotionally engaged, and if you look and you're like, oh, green carpet and purple curtains, oh my gosh, I can't possibly, no. Like, guess what? You don't have to live with the green carpet and the purple curtains. If they're clean, if they're in good shape, then you keep them because it's not about you. It's about making the money. And we have to stay focused on making the money. And this isn't about your preferences. This is about sending your kids to college. This is about your retirement. If you want to think of it, being about you, you need to think of of it as being about the money part of you, Mm -hmm. okay? Because the person that's going to be renting or buying that property is probably just grateful to be able to put a roof over their heads. And they're looking at this potential investment completely different than what you are, Exactly. okay? You have no idea where this person has come from, what their experiences are, and you can't put your personal preferences on this property, because one, it'll cost you more in time and money and resources than it's worth. And the other person isn't going to value it the same. Right. You know, so that's something else that we have to think about. Um, We also don't want to start real estate investing until we have our real estate investment team in place. This includes contractors, real estate agents, inspectors. And it's so funny. I have a typo here. It says bakers, but I meant bankers. (laughs) And here's... (laughs) You know, you know, you need bakers for those fresh cookies that you leave out for for the new homeowner. Yeah, yeah. So you probably want a baker in place too. But you want bankers or lenders, people that are going to lend you money whether it's through a promissory note or an official bank. So these are things that you have to pay for. For the complete list of our real estate do's and don'ts, please visit our website at unlockyourwealthradio.com and put in the search bar uh the um real estate do's and don'ts. And you can download a worksheet that you can start checking off and making sure that you have all the right pieces in place for your shot at successful real estate investment. Thank you so much for stopping by and being part of the show. For more great resources, please visit our website at unlockyourwealthradio.com. And for Unlock Your Wealth Radio and the Maestro of Moolah, Michael Terry, I'm Heather Wagonhalls. Now go out and unlock your wealth today. UnlockYourWealthRadio.com is produced by Heather Wagonhalls and the Unlock Your Wealth Foundation. UnlockYourWealthRadio.com and its affiliates are copyrighted 2017 with all rights reserved. For more information on the Keys to Riches financial wellness series, please visit our website at www.unlockyourwealth.com.